to be another way out of that. A new holiday was born. A festivus for the rest of us. This new holiday of yours is scratching me right where I itch. Let's do it then. All right. Festivus is back. Ladies and gentlemen. This tradition that we've created, uh, inadvertently it seems, but people, I genuinely talk to people, you wouldn't believe, I genuinely talk to people that, uh, you know, they tell me they, this, is, this is part of their holiday tradition, we're like on par with the peanut special. Uh, so. well, I don't know if I like that sound, but <laughs> There you go. We've had 70-some years of ufology, but this is a remarkable moment without much people, as far as I can tell. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Banal of America Audio Holiday Special, featuring Stanton Friedman. Happy Holidays! With your host, Tim Banal. No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. And when we use that tagline, uh, no comparison, really what comes to mind is what we're going to do tonight. Happy holidays, my friends. It is the 13th annual BOA Audio holiday special featuring the father of modern-day ufology, Stanton Friedman. It is probably... My proudest tradition, I think. Uh, so I've been doing 10 years of this program, doing 13 years of, uh, of, of interviews with Stan Friedman, uh, and, and 15 total when you count a whole bunch of the, uh, other ones that I've done is uh, kind of what I hang my hat on for all these years. It's been just an outstanding ride, a tremendous fun experience. I don't know if you know this, Stan. We're wrapping up the show sort of as a weekly entity uh, this year, but I hope to keep oh. bringing back – uh, yeah, I got all kind of other projects I'm working on, so I want to try some other stuff other than radio. So, uh, <laughs> but I plan on bringing back the holiday special next year if you're if you're down. Of course, I don't want this tradition to to end until one of us can't be doing it. So, hopefully, uh, you're still down with that. I, I got seven more years to go. I'm, my folks both live to be ninety. I'm eighty three, so I'll be here. <laughs> all right, I'm in too. So we're gonna. <laughs> They've got us now, Stan. They've yeah. they've got us. So thank you so much. Happy holidays. Welcome back. Uh, you know, uh, you really need no introduction, but of course uh, we'll give you one anyway. Uh, Forty plus years in ufology. It may be fifty plus at this time. Uh, he put Roswell on the map. He put MJ12 on the map. Uh, you know, his footprint on this field is tremendous. He is. He is the giant upon whose uh, shoulders many of us stand. He's the author of Crash at Corona, Top Secret Magic, Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, uh, which he co-authored with Kathy Martin, Flying Saucers and Science, as well as Science Was Wrong, which he also co-authored with Kathy Martin. And I think there's one more new one, right? Yes, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers, also with Kathy. There you go, nice. Uh, so it's a real thrill to have you back, Stan. And uh, like I said, uh, you know, this this... This tradition that we've created, uh, inadvertently it seems, but people, I genuinely talk to people, you wouldn't believe, I genuinely talk to people that, uh, you know, they tell me they, this is this is part of their holiday tradition. We're like on par with the peanut special for some people. <laughs> I don't know if I like that sound, but... <laughs> 
There you go. Now keep me on my toes because I got a. I've had a bad radio connection for a while. So if I get uh, if I if I start getting crappy, just uh, just give me a smack. I can take it. Don't worry okay. about you know the listeners. They prefer that than hearing <laughs> hearing all uh, all the crackles. Now there's uh, I'm chomping at the bit to talk to you about this. I assume I hope that you've heard about the big New York Times article that came out this weekend. Of course. Yes. <laughs> I was How having, could I not? I, yeah, thank you. Good. I was having a nightmare. We'd be on the air, and I'd have to try and <laughs> that I might somehow you know, would tip you off to it. So, because um, you're luckily for you, you're not on social media like me because I'm just bombarded with because um, you know I, I don't know how if you know how it works. It's like you're friends with people, and it's all algorithms. And next thing you know, you people constantly, all your friends are constantly posting things. I'm friends with all these people in ufology. It's like. I've been bombarded with hot takes over the last uh, three days, all kinds of way, you know, different thought pieces on this from all different UFO researchers with all different perspectives on it, ranging, you know, from they, they think it's a big conspiracy, they think it's, uh, you know, they're nonplussed about it, they're they're thrilled about it. Um, so, and and quite frankly, you know, you were the first person I ever interviewed. You're the guy who really got me into this. For a lot of people, you're the face and voice of UFOs. So, and I don't think you've—I don't have—I don't listen to a lot of shows. So maybe you've talked to somebody since Saturday, but uh, yeah. I haven't heard your take on it yet, and I'm sure a lot of people also haven't. So, what? With that long introduction, what what do you what is your take on this story? It's, it's a very shocking and impressive story. Uh, you know, many UFO stories are sort of uh, half baloney and half excitement and stuff like that. But this one, uh, it's got the right names. I mean, there are five government, former government officials that went on stage uh, with DeLong, um, Tom DeLong, a musician, a rock musician, uh, and said extraordinary things. Uh, and they all had fancy titles. And they all came across very well. I was very impressed. And what they basically said was that there was a secret program from uh, like 2007 to 2012 and probably thereafter in which an organization which nobody had ever heard of but on the fifth floor of the Pentagon uh, was investigating UFOs for the government. I mean, it was a government organization. And right. the people who put this together... Harry Reid, for goodness sakes, he was the Senate leader, uh, and he uh, was one of the moving guys on this one. And, you know, how, how much more respectable can you get? Uh, right. And so it, it was a, a very uh, intriguing thing. It's as if somebody pushed a button somewhere, and I wish I knew where and who, uh, that said, okay, guys, now you can talk about this. Uh, I mean, guys like Luis Elizondo uh, had a very fancy position, and there he is on the air, uh, you know, talking straight out. There, there are flying saucers. Yeah. And, and th- this was uh, it was an incredible uh, period in time. In other words, we've had seventy some years of ufology, but this is a remarkable moment without much equal as far as I can tell. And it got picked up in some places. Uh, I haven't heard a lot of noise from the nasty, noisy negativists yet. I'm sure it'll be out there. Oh, Stan, yeah. I've already I've already seen I, I told you, I've been bombarded with hot takes. I've seen a Sesto attack hot take. I'll have to, uh, maybe I'll, I'll ask you another question while I'm talking to you. I'll try and 
take it up if you if you want some choice quotes from Seth on the topic. But oh, I, no, I haven't heard Seth's quote. Yet. I'll he see if I can find. Up. Yeah. So you that is, I think that's about as rigging an endorsement as you can get in a sense. Uh, saying you know this is a pretty profound story. Now obviously everyone's yes. everyone says you know it. It's, I guess in a way, and I think history will say, and also it's sort of an argument of semantics. Is this like the big D disclosure, or is it sort of like the first step to disclosure? People, we won't, we won't know, really, anyway. But a lot of people are they, – they seem to be thinking that this is the moment they have been waiting for. Let's put it that way. I, I would say it is one of the moments. In other words, it's going to get bigger because we haven't seen all the formerly classified reports. Uh, five years of stuff, that's, uh, that's a long time. We haven't seen all that. And it sounds like it's going to it's declassified, uh, but uh, high-level people saying very positive, definite, clear things. Now, it's interesting how they try to avoid using the term. Well, I think they're extraterrestrial. Uh, they'll say maybe you know I don't think they're from here, uh, you know. And but they will say that there was a cover-up, an organization whose name has never shown up in public before, and. I, the tone was, I found, particularly intriguing. Now, I don't know how much credit goes to Tom DeLong for putting this whole thing together. Uh, and, you know, why Tom? He's obviously had a long-term interest in stuff and a sharp guy. He, he made a nice presentation. Uh, and so uh, I'm very pleased at the event. Uh, I want to know more. You always want to know more. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, and uh, I'm waiting. Now, I hadn't heard what Seth had said, and I'm, so I'm anxious to hear that, I, I can imagine. But <laughs> I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you in a moment, yeah. Okay. So it is It is interesting. It is very interesting. I think um, I made a point uh, writing about it uh, for Coast to Coast that it does seem like we're on the way to disclosure, but there's a long way to go from what we've been told now, which is that the government – uh, admits that they have an interest in contemporary times in the subject. Two aliens are coming to Earth. You know, well, like there's yeah, a, long, there's they a journey were careful, here we to make. <laughs> they were avoiding saying that. Uh, look, I don't have anything I need to worry about. I can say what I darn please. So I can stick my neck out and say I say the evidence is overwhelming that some of these things are intelligently controlled extraterrestrial spacecraft. Now, others are afraid if they say that, that they'll be laughed at. Well, I don't worry about that. After 700 lectures, I don't get laughed at, except when I make a joke, but that's not, you know, that's different. Uh, so uh, I don't need to be so conservative, in other words. I've been out there, and I know what the reaction is. You know, after seven, 700 lectures, a pretty good sampling of it, all over the world, 50 states, 10 provinces, and 19 countries. Uh, that's a pretty good sampling you know, from one end of the planet to the other. So it, it's a, a very special time to pe give people a chance to stand up and recognize that they think, as most people do, as I've found, that the planet's being visited, that flying saucers are real, but most people are afraid to admit that because they're going to get laughed at, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I've been out there. I've stated it. I don't get laughed at. Yeah. So I, it's perfectly okay. And so this is a turning point. It's a whole new world, in other words. Uh, and what I'm waiting for, you know, it's Christmas time. That sort of gets in the way. But uh, I'm expecting a flood of people coming out of the woodwork, so to speak, 
uh, where media people in different cities are, are going public and saying things, and people come to them and say, well, you know, I've never told anybody, but. Right, right. Uh, and, and especially former military people and government people and so forth. But when five guys who formerly had high-ranking posts in the government, and I was very impressed by those guys, uh, stand up and, and straightforwardly say these things are real, and there was a program that we haven't been told about and so forth. Yeah. That's big news. And like I say, Harry Reid was the... Uh, oh, yeah, he's a, he was, yeah, I know, yeah. He's a major player. Major player is the right word, and so it's nice to have that. And sure, I, I got a few calls. No, nobody was saying give Sam credit for any of this stuff, but I'll take some credit. You know, after the first 500 broadcasts. Hell yeah, man! A lot of people. <laughs> Hell yeah, man! Come on, yeah, you deserve. You know, come on. You, as I said before, you are the giant upon whose shoulders many of us stand, including uh, a lot of these guys, I'm sure. And I'll say this: I mean, I. Listen, I'm as cynical as anybody in this field. I was super skeptical about this stuff. Uh, but And I've seen a lot of people respond to this story by sort of just digging in their heels on whatever take they had on this at the beginning. And it's like, I'll be the first to admit, I underestimated these guys. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still kind of weary about what, what they're doing. But throughout the last few months on the show, I've said, do something. Stop talking and do something and, or, and stop asking for my attention. And folks, they went and did something. So and you right. have to give credit where credit is due. You have, I mean, you know, I, I, yeah. yeah. So I just I'm wanted that sure. sort of on the record because, you know, so many people in this field, it's like they don't want to – something happens and they can't react. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'm going to do a 180, folks, but my attitude is like for all my criticism of this group, they, they've delivered something, and, and that's, yeah. that's to be excited about. I am. No, no, I, I know I'm, <laughs> I'm speaking for myself. <laughs> okay, let's get let's get to our buddy Seth Shostak. So I've dug up the article here, um, and it's from Inverse.com. It was published yesterday, and I'm going to give get right to the quote. The gist of it is is that Shostak says that, uh, and he this is the quote. It's a little disturbing um, that Bob Bigelow is involved, and he says Bob Bigelow. <laughs> Bob Bigelow, um, uh, okay, he says, Bob Bigelow doesn't need more money. He's a very likable guy, but he's convinced all along that we're being visited, in quotes. And it doesn't mean aliens are visiting us, that's in brackets there, just because a person of note thinks it's true. All right, so he's saying it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean the ETH is real just because he thinks it's true. The thing that's a little disturbing about this is that it seems – that a lot of money for this study went to Bob Bigelow. I think that if you really wanted to investigate this stuff, the thing to do is to give this money to scientists or experts in the field, i.e., <laughs> uh, that don't have a dog in the fight. But these, most of the scientists out there who comment about UFOs are not experts in the field. I found this, you know, I've done a number of debates, I've appeared with all these guys. Seth and I did a debate. And I noticed that he very recently commented, just because I won the debate doesn't mean that I was right. Uh, <laughs> that's a begrudging way of looking at things. Uh, I think anybody who listened to the debate would know that Seth didn't have any facts at hand to defend his position. Uh, you know, it, it, it's very straightforward. There aren't any – these guys, and what I constantly harp on with these guys – 
they haven't studied the evidence. When I, when Seth and I did each did three lectures on the Queen Elizabeth II coming from uh, Southampton, New York to New York, I'm uh, Southampton, England to New York City. Uh, and uh, nothing happening in the North Atlantic in December, <laughs> which it was. But uh, we each gave three lectures. We were cordial to each other. We each listened to the other guys' lectures. In the course of my lecture, of course, I mentioned five large-scale studi- scientific studies, which uh, I think if you're going to have an opinion about this subject, you should study the scientific studies. We're scientists, Seth. Uh, don't forget that. Uh, and so I asked after talking about each one, how many people here have read this? There were a few hundred people at the lecture. And he didn't raise his hand for any of them. And he and I debated on the radio. And I won the debate, uh, coast to coast, uh, very handily. What was it? Uh, 20. Uh, it was like. It was a blowout. It was a blowout. It, it was pretty, pretty. Now, it wasn't as much of a blowout as it was with Michael Shermer. Right. And I've got an announcement for you. Uh, Michael is editor of Skeptic Magazine, Dr. Shermer, and we debated. Uh, th- this all came about because Seth and Michael and I and a few other people appeared with Larry King. And I asked Seth if he would, uh, we could have a debate on Coast to Coast, and he agreed. And then I asked Michael, and we did. Uh, and uh, with, with, with uh, Michael, I got 80% of the vote, and he got 20% of the vote. Uh, you know, he he didn't know anything. Well, we are going to have a rematch, only this one in person, not on the radio. Would you believe on April the 8th in Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, Pangburn Associates, which I had never heard of, uh, they have a philosophy outfit, and they sponsor debates around the world, uh, apparently defending against any crazy notions like flying saucers. And uh, uh, Michael and I are doing a debate on April the 8th on the stage at a big facility in Vancouver, and they're paying me nicely, and uh, I say I'm going to challenge, I'm going to beat them again. <laughs> We'll see. There you go. Uh, I mean, I'm getting older, after all, and I'm a lot older than he is. So, uh, well, don't go I'm... easy on him for that reason. Well, I, I'll try not to. <laughs> Just because he's a youngster. Uh, well, yeah, and, and it's it's funny because somebody ought to do. Uh, there have been over a dozen PhD theses done about UFOs, and I'd like to see one that looks at the, the silly nonsense of the nasty, noisy negativist. You know. <laughs> Okay. I think you need a you need like a psych ward to do a study like that. Uh. Well, yeah, it, it, it's what bothers me, and, and it surprised me from the start. It shouldn't have, but it did. That respectable scientists, and I consider Seth respectable. Uh, I mean, even if he's part of the SETI community, search for extraterrestrial intelligence, based on some of the strangest thinking I've ever heard. Hey, there's probably aliens out there, but they ain't coming here, folks. They're trying <laughs> yeah. to reach us with radio signals. Now, why would they expect us to listen, and what would they say to us? These things we don't talk about, you understand, but we've got to keep listening. Right. And they totally ignore the UFO stuff. Look for references in their book. I read their books. They don't read mine, of course. Of course. They wouldn't dare to admit that. But <laughs> uh, So they're... 
there's nobody coming here because you, you can't get here from there, and there is no evidence, and governments can't keep secrets. And what do these guys know about uh, a couple of things? Uh, keeping secrets. Most astronomy research is not classified, <laughs> frankly. I spent 14 years working under security. Uh, secondly, I worked on a number of studies of interstellar travel. These guys don't get involved in engineering. How do you get here from there and so forth? The space program wasn't designed by guys who know about the technology of getting into the space uh, in, in the astronomical community. They had nothing to do with that. That's yeah. good, solid engineering and people who have literally studied the right evidence. So it's a crazy thing. What are they, And also... They constantly come forth with ideas about why uh, aliens would behave in such a way. Now, when did these guys become experts on alien. human, no less alien behavior? <laughs> yeah. Astronomy yeah. doesn't have anything to do with people, you know what I mean. It, right, it, right. So it, it's a strange situation. Uh, they're carrying the torch, but basically it says, give your money over here, guys. Right, uh, right, yeah. It's that's very, why I call it silly effort to investigate, SETI. That's right. They don't like me to call it that, but what, I don't see where it makes any sense. If you're interested in extraterrestrial life, you look at the data that's related to that. Well, we find uh, several thousand physical trace cases in ufology. Uh, we find hundreds of observations of alien beings associated with alien craft on the ground. What are they talking about? Somebody's going to send us a radio signal, folks. What frequency should we listen to? And we'll argue about that. They, they will argue with each other, you know, uh, what, what's the right frequency to listen to? Oh, they come oh. up with theoretical arguments which have nothing to do with the real world. Right, right. You know, if, if, if they had picked up a number of signals, you could say, well, they've got a basis for their assumptions. But they haven't. I've got data when I talk about UFO observations. They're all over the place. And on radar, uh, you know, in photographs. And and these guys won't even look at that evidence. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those strange arguments. Uh, you know, uh, I'll leave the psychologists to try to decide what's, what's cooking here. Right, right. It's very... Uh... Yeah, well, it's it's like akin to them shouting out the window when there's people walking around front, right outside. So you know, yeah. it's it's yeah. it's very uh, strange. Yeah, and it's funny you hit on all the you hit on a lot of the. He pretty much said uh, among the other stuff he said was just that I find it hard to believe that anybody's covering it up because uh, it's been going on for so long, which is pretty much what you just said, and um, uh, something else along those lines. Yeah. But the, uh, but they says, can't even think of a good reason for covering up when the technology thing. Wouldn't every government on the planet like to be able to duplicate the behavior of flying saucers? Oh, yeah, absolutely. One would think so. It's not a theoretical construct. It's If I can fly like that, I'm going to rule the country, rule the planet. You know, uh, that's well, significant. We, the United States will spend... Or the planet will spend a trillion dollars this year on things military. Obviously, that's high priority. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, the, he 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 sums it up here at the end, and I think this is a good jumping-off point to sort of the next line of conversation in a sense. He says the bottom line is somebody spent twenty million dollars of your tax dollars to look into this, and they didn't come up with anything. That's what he says. Um, I find didn't come up with anything. We don't know. <laughs> that's the thing. We don't know. <laughs> We don't know what they came up with. Now, ostensibly, allegedly, or however you want to say it, I guess uh, the Washington Post 
reported that they produced a 490-page report. So I'm wondering if we're going to get our hands on that or if it's classified or what the status of that is. I hope some journalist out there who has the ability to ask that question of the right person um, is, is tracking down this 500-page report. Yeah, me too. I hadn't heard that 500-page number. So the guy, I'll give the guy at the Washington Post credit. Let's go for the data. Let's go for the facts. Uh, and and SETI is is trapped here. They're looking for money so that they can keep listening for signals. Now, what they expect to find, uh, who knows? Uh, I've read their books. I don't see any coherent picture. Uh, I, I think they expect the aliens to land on a White House lawn and say, hi, guys, this is what it's like out there. What are you guys doing here? Give me a tour of your facilities or something like that. Yeah. Like earthlings are worth talking to as equals. Let's hope that nobody out there killed 50 million people in their last war. We did. You know, is, is that a sign of advanced structure in nature? I don't think so. Yeah. It, it's it's weird. Uh, and, of course, there's a chapter in my book, Flying Saucers and Science, about SETI and uh, science and silliness, I think, uh, because I think their approach is silly. Uh you know, we got footprints, and you're telling me there ain't nobody here. You know? So I guess a lot of this, in a way, depends now on what happens next. Like uh, if, you know, you you often call for like a, a young Wilbur and Bernstein to, to dig in. I mean, their people are purportedly yeah. digging into this. Like the, the, the argument I've heard from a lot of people who've been in this for a long time is that, uh, you know, by the end of the week – Oh God! You know, Christmas is Monday. The holidays. It's like this thing's going to be by the time 2018 starts. This, this thing's going to be already old news. So it's it's going to take sort of. Uh, I hope that these people behind this this revelation have more stuff to start rolling out because you got it takes yes. something to keep the people's attention. Well, I hope so too because uh, they mentioned the the name of this group that was investigating all those years. Uh, let's see their reports. Right. I don't know. Anybody got permission to release what was classified data? Somebody had to say the right things in the right places. Now, And you look at the titles of those five guys who spoke out. They're very impressive. These are not dinks. Yeah. And so I presume they they had they obviously had guts enough to speak out but without fear of somebody's going to come after them for releasing classified data and of course they're in a peculiar the government's in a peculiar situation if you clamp down on somebody for releasing classified data then are you admitting that that it's true hmm you know uh, that that's a major problem Right. Put you in jail for releasing classified information. Oh, it is classified, is it? You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how it works uh, necessarily, but it's like somebody now should be should be like calling the Pentagon and being like, okay, what? Give us the information that you have, even if you have to file an FOIA or something. Like, what? What's classified? What isn't? You know, what? Give us as much information. Like, that's what I'm kind of hoping for. That maybe even somebody in Congress or something will take an interest in this and ask. A, God forbid, or God willing, we'll get a Trump tweet. You know that'll. Well, yeah, I, I don't know where he fits <laughs> in the picture, but I, I yeah. do know that I was very impressed to see Harry Reid speaking out. Mm. Uh, you know, we're talking. He was the majority leader in the Senate. Yeah. You know that's 
pretty darn high up the the tree, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And he came out pretty straightforwardly, and uh, taking credit, as a matter of fact, he was one of the instigators for this program. Like he was, he was proud of that. Yeah. And I, I was impressed with that. He, of course, he isn't in the Senate anymore, but it still takes guts to do that in today's world. Even though I know from the 700 lectures and uh, I don't know how many thousands of interviews that uh, I haven't had a hard time from people. It's been years since I had a debunker. Yeah. And people are ready, willing, and able to accept the notion that the planet's being visited. The question is, okay, what does that mean to us? Are they bad guys? Uh, are they giving us technology? Uh you know, there are a lot of questions. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Are the do the Russians know more than we do, or the Chinese? And uh, as as somebody, maybe it was Reed said, other countries are far ahead of us in releasing data, and uh, that should shake a few people up. Uh, like not Seth probably, but uh, look, Seth's a good guy, and I I feel sorry for him because he's got an indefensible position. Mm. Ain't nobody coming here, but they're out there, and if all we got to do is listen, and we'll find them. Uh, and there's nothing to defend that position. It just sounds so antiquated anyway, like just completely out of touch, you know. It's like they've yeah, been doing it and, since the 70s. Yeah, and they haven't looked at the cover-up data. I mean, I show blacked-out documents. I show whited-out documents from the NSA and the CIA. There's no question of their validity. They came from those agencies, freedom of information requests and stuff like that. Yeah. And when you get the NSA admitting that we've got 156 top-secret Umbra UFO documents, and when you look at them, you can read one sentence per page. <laughs> you know, it's ludicrous. And the CIA, uh, first of all, years ago they admitted uh, they had a release under Freedom of Information Act request about 800 pages of documents, which were heavily redacted. But there were a bunch, those were only up through secret. When I went after the top secret stuff, it took me years, but I got some. And they were almost completely blocked out. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I get people tell me, oh, we're, they're not covering up anything. There's nothing classified about UFOs. Oh, really? Uh, well, now right. we can just point to this thing. <laughs> right? I mean... <laughs> Isn't this, I mean, that's the victory, I guess, in a sense, for, for UFO uh, advocates that, like, that now people we can be like, well, at least the, gov- you know, the government had an, in- had an interest, so what do you think of that, you know? And Shostak's right in a sense so far that, like, we don't know what they figured out. We, <laughs> I don't understand. I wish there was more of a clamoring in a sense where I suppose, you know, the public is catching up to where you and I are, Stan, listeners of the yes. show, where it's like they're – they're just opening their mind to the possibility of this. And we, we've kind of moved past the idea of, like, are UFOs real? Of course UFOs are real. Well, we want to figure out what they are. Um, and, and, and what they want. And right. are there many <laughs> different types with many different uh, things going for them, many different motivations? Uh, and also, uh, how, big, how well populated is the local neighborhood? What I find has impressed people is the recognition that there are planets all over the place. We didn't know that 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Now we know, the latest data suggests that there's between 1 and 1.6 planets per star. That means within 100 light years, which is just down the street, there are, as it happens, there are 10,000 stars. 
And that means that there are roughly 16,000 planets within that 100-year light-year range. That's a heck of a lot. And that's next door. Yeah. And they, uh, we've been smitten with the crazy notion that, gee, the, the nearest star is five point, uh, 4.3 light years away. And, you know, if anybody's coming here, they'd have to come from hundreds or thousands of light years away. And now we realize, uh, holy cow, there are thousands of planets within less than 100 light years. And so that's a shocking notion for these guys. Yeah. And it's also, you know, it took a long time for us to get around to realizing that the world's kind of, and the universe are kind of old places. In 1650 or 60 or so, a great astronomer figured out that the world was created in 4004 B.C. Uh, You know, that's not very long ago, 6,000 years ago. Yeah. And now the the number for the Earth is over 4 billion years. Wow. And that's quite a difference, you know. And suddenly... If it was only for uh, six thousand years ago, then uh, we know a lot about our history. But if it was four billion years ago, we don't know what all has been going on in that time. How many others have come and gone, and how many started long before we did? We know that our our known history is measured in thousands of years. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't have any uh, civilizations that we're talking about that are a million years old that we know anything about. I'm not saying they weren't there. I'm just saying we don't know anything about exactly. them. And so suddenly uh, our we're not the big shots we'd like to think we are. Now, that beats the heck out of the SETI people because they think as astronomers they're at the top of the <laughs> the roost, you know. After all, they're concerned about the universe. Yeah. Uh, you know, and all I have to do is laugh. And uh, uh, we live in a place where the latest numbers, when Frank Drake was saying maybe 6,000 planets or 8,000 planets on the planet, uh, now the number where people are talking about casually is 100 billion uh, in the galaxy. In the yeah, galaxy. yeah. Uh, there's a long way between 6,000 and 100 billion. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's exciting. It's an exciting story. It's definitely an exciting story. Uh, yes. And and so and I have to give credit for these guys having guts enough to speak out. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, okay, but what? This is kind of like a complicated question in a sense because it's like it, there's, there's a lot of layers to it. But it's generally the main sort of like uh, opinion I've seen from people who are in the UFO field and have been in for a long time in the UFO bubble um, that, that, and, and who are just like always sort of like on guard about this stuff, that this is all, um, that this is all orchestrated, that this is all, you know, this, like you said, like how could they, who, who gave them permission to do this kind of thing that like, this is all, um, you know, that, that, that it's orchestrated, that, that, that this is all like a public relations move um, toward what end, who knows yet. We certainly don't know yet what yeah. the end goal and target of all this stuff is, other than they got a lot of newsmen talking. Yeah. But you think it, yeah. So it seems like you're, I guess, I guess, I guess what, I guess sort of the, the caveat to that is like people, they, they say that with sort of an air of warning in a sense, that like we should be weary of what we're told here 
um, as this thing unfolds. I mean, that makes sense, right? You, obviously, we should be weary. Well, about you should those. be weary, but uh, let's face it. Look at the titles of these five guys who are speaking out. They're very impressive. Uh, Pentagon officials, is that the right term, I suppose? Uh, and, you know, I get a kick out of somebody saying they spent $22 million of government money. Wow, how terrible. And, you know, when I was working on nuclear airplanes back in 1958, our budget for General Electric that year was $100 million when that was a lot of money. $22 million spent spent over several years is peanuts. Right, right. I guess guess what what I was trying to say in a sense was like the big D word that isn't disclosure, like disinformation. But to me it's like I'm not quite sure. I'm still trying to wrap my head around this, and – I'm not quite sure what they're trying to, what they would be trying to disform us about. You know what I'm saying? If that makes any sense. I'm, I can't I'm either. Yes. I'm uh, befuddled. You notice we we haven't hit the top secret stuff, and we haven't hit uh, the analysis of the bodies. They say there's a building in which there are a lot of parts. Right. Right. And, yeah. Uh, you know, they're 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 complaining about Bob Bigelow who doesn't need their money, but I got Bob Bigelow's first UFO research grant a number of years ago. I was very impressed with him, not because he had money, but because of how he uh, made decisions, how he understood the right questions to ask. Not everybody has that. Bob's a very sharp guy. That's how he got to be a billionaire. Yeah. Let's face it. And so I had personal dealings with him directly and was very favorably impressed. And uh, he said, uh, I've got money, and I checked on him because I had never heard of him. And I have people I know in Las Vegas, and oh, yes, Stan, <laughs> he is indeed. Uh, and he asked, uh, can you think of any research projects? And I said, oh, I can think of a bunch of them. He said, well, write them down. The next day I uh, faxed him, uh, I don't know, 10 ideas for research programs. Uh, and he said, well, that, that's too many. Uh, let, let's pick one. And so I did, and I gave him a write-up. And uh, he said, uh, how much would it cost? And I gave him a write-up on that. And the next day, I told him how much it would take. He said, yes. And there was a check in my uh, bank account at the end of the week. I mean, I like that when you can deal straight up with people instead of saying, well, I'll, I'll get back to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, next month, next year, whatever. He isn't a, He knows that it takes money to achieve research objectives, like it or not. Right, right. Well, and, I guess. Oh, God. I think. Well, just that I think Seth and the SETI cultists, as I call them, and you can tell him I said that. He's probably heard me say it. I haven't. Uh, they're they're jealous and not getting money. But what what do they plan to do? Well, we're going to listen, and I'm sure we're going to listen to something useful. Yeah. Oh, really? How do you know what frequency to use, incidentally? Uh, you, you throw darts at a dartboard? Or, or do, you, do you have a newsletter from the uh, Alien Association? No, these are the frequencies we're using this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Pretty yeah, silly. it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. I mean, I guess my main two questions, not for you, for the for coming out of the story, I guess, is, is okay, where's the data? Where's the, where's the report? And where's the stuff you got in the warehouse? And can we find out what, you know, yes. I mean, they laid it out. So, I, you know, I don't know whose job it is to, 
find out that information or if they're going to be forthcoming with it, but that's, you know, there needs to be uh, interest from everybody where, where this stuff is. Yes. And if there I'm, I'm impressed by having somebody like Harry Reid right. speaking out. We're not talking about the bottom of the food chain here. We're talking near the top. Yeah. And that impresses me. He didn't get there by being an idiot. It sounds like uh, he has been interested for a long time. He's talked to the right people. He's pursued his interest, and now he's speaking out. And i got to give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, those are sort of my big questions coming out of this. And, uh, yeah, it's really exciting. I'm interested to see how it, yes. how it unfolds. Um, have you, I guess the last sort of sub-question of all this, have you been in any way like contact or involved with this To the Stars group or Tom DeLong? Or I, I know you said you were you, no. you, were, you were granted funding from Bigelow a while ago, but um, yes. or any of these, so, so this completely, you didn't know anything about this uh, this weird program. That, well, I'd heard about Tom DeLong, and I, I had read his big, he's got a big book out there. It's right, right. Fiction, but uh, I had read his book, and I was, Worried because it was long on story and short on evidence. And so, uh, you know, once he got to back it up, that's what I want to hear. There are all kinds of stories out there. Right, but that's kind of what I was saying, yeah. And then this thing came out, yeah. <laughs> they came up with, a, a, you know, a lot more statements from a lot more people and a clear indication, you know, and they give a title for the program and the name of the office and the government that funded it. Well, I mean, the Pentagon confirmed it. I mean, that's all you could really... You know, if the yeah, Pentagon else, didn't confirm it, yeah, if the Pentagon was like, "Hey, get out of here," this story wouldn't have gotten to the New York Times. So it's like clearly, right. you know, like I said, well, someone I, needs I to be I know Leslie out. Kane, who was one of the three authors, yeah, and she's written an outstanding book. She's been doing outstanding research on this subject for a long time. Gutsy, sharp, incisive. She goes digging. She gets other people involved. Uh, what's the name? Uh, the Washington guy, uh, John. He, he worked for uh, Podesta. Obama. Podesta, yes. Yeah. Uh, she worked closely with him. Uh, so I, I, I'm impressed with that. These are people I know, uh, known her for years, and I've read her work. What I always look for is somebody can make claims. That's easy. But what evidence do you provide that backs? those claims up yeah exactly yeah yeah and and that's where the nasty noisy negativists <laughs> come up very short they do their research research by proclamation not by investigation that's right leslie kane does investigation and so do those other guys and so uh i was impressed with elizondo uh I, i'd never heard of him before but when I heard him speak and I read some of his background, wow, uh, he was in a good position to know a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the perfect kind of whistleblower that uh, people have been calling yeah. for for a long time. So, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. It's it like I said, it's exciting, interesting, and and we'll see what happens. And uh, you know, that's the best we can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I there's a lot of people that like rush to. To sort of say this is that and this is the other, you know. Our, 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 Stephen Stephen Greer said, "Oh well, the the word, as I said, Stan, everyone's got an opinion on this. It's amazing." Stephen Greer said that you know the the word threat in the title of the thing means that they're going to try and spin this as an alien invasion scenario we have to protect against. 
So it's who, who well, knows. <laughs> one one thing for sure, we have to be concerned. As soon as you admit that there's anybody else out there and that they're probably more advanced than we are because we haven't been advanced for very long, then you have to be worried. What are their intentions? Right. You'd, you'd be foolish not to worry about that. Oh, they're all good guys. Uh, you know, let's have dinner. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, we have given plenty of cause to other civilizations out there to be very concerned about. It's not just 50 million people killed in one war, you know, but the fact that the Earth is spending a trillion dollars this year on things military, the fact that we have mastered nuclear fusion, which is good not only for H-bombs, but will get us to the stars, which suddenly makes us a threat to the neighborhood with our background. We're not nice guys. Right, right. You know, we only destroyed what seventeen hundred cities during World War Two. These are nice guys, uh, you know. <laughs> Earthlings are not the the model civilization of great concern for its citizens. We're, yeah. we're nasty grabbers, <laughs> you know. Exactly, and just and and yeah, yeah. You're right about that. I hadn't really sort of thought of it that way. Where it's like, sure, this may get spun as a threat, but it's like we don't necessarily know it isn't. <laughs> so we're not. We may not be. We may not be being bamboozled, folks. We may actually, you know, we may actually want to assess the the threat level of this situation. So. What we have to realize is they certainly know that we're nasty guys. Our history proves that. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully I mean, like they see us not. as ineffectual, <laughs> at least relatively, yeah. relatively tameable. Um, so, like I said, it's exciting. We'll see what happens. Uh, I, I could sort of meander and poke at this for a while with you, but I know we've got a uh, we've got a ton of listener questions. So uh, let's get to those because it's part of the holiday tradition. Sure. Um, we'll start out with D. Schiller. She wants to know if you hadn't investigated Roswell, what would you have investigated, or would you be involved in uh, the esoteric at all? Well, you, since you got into Roswell around the late seventies, early eighties, I assume you would. Yeah, seventy-eight. Yeah. So you, this was like, you know, uh, I didn't what, start with Roswell. Right, exactly. In other words, yes. a lot of people think that's what got you interested. I was read my first book in fifty-eight, gave my first lecture in sixty-seven, and started the Roswell research in seventy-eight. So I was already deeply involved. I provided testimony at congressional hearings in sixty-eight. For goodness sakes. I'd given hundreds of lectures all over the place before I heard about Roswell. So, uh, you know, I'm known for Roswell because I'm the guy who broke the story, but that, that wasn't my introduction to ufology. It came as quite a shock. I didn't know about it when I started. Right, exactly. Well, a lot of people also call you Dr. Friedman, so we... <laughs> well, yeah, and I keep trying to correct them. And... There's quite a lore surrounding you. I guess to to reframe her question in a way that we uh, might get some insight, um, if, if what were you kind of, what, what, I guess this may be a hard sort of thing to, to come up with, or maybe it isn't, but like sort of what was on your mind before you got the Roswell tip you know, oh. what direction, what were you kind of thinking, what what might have you done if you hadn't uh, been tipped off about the Roswell thing? Was there something else that was sort of on your mind that you wanted to explore? Well, I was certainly pursuing the cosmic Watergate, the cover-up, because I've had a security clearance. I know how the security works and stuff. And I was also, what really got me excited was the technology. I mean, let's face it, my first job was working on nuclear airplanes. I worked on studies a little after that of 
fusion propulsion for deep space travel. I was concerned about how do you get from here to there and what are the technologies, partly because there's very few other people who've worked on so many canceled programs as I have, as many. Uh, so I'm, I'm well suited. I know about security and I know about uh, programs about advanced propulsion systems and I know about systems being canceled or programs being canceled. Now, I would have pursued those things. I was already doing that. I mean, if you look at my congressional testimony in 68, I wasn't talking about Roswell. I didn't know about Roswell. Yeah. Uh, I was talking about technology. I was talking about what does it mean? You know, it's important for us as earthlings to know that we're not alone in the neighborhood. Uh, I I think that's very important. We yeah. should be worried about who, who's out there and how can we keep them from attacking us because we're so nasty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Um, okay. Marco Withrow, he says uh, he wants to know or writes, with regards to young people coming into the field, and there are far too few, how much emphasis do you think they should put into the history of ufology? Not just classic cases, but the people involved in the early days of ufology as well. And uh, he says, as always, the safest and happiest of holidays to both of you and yours. So, Well, the same with regard to... The, the writer, uh, I think young people should dig in to dig out background because this is a multifaceted problem. Uh, for example, one thing that I find intriguing is why would aliens come here? And then you start looking around, well, what's special about Earth? Oh, the Earth is the densest planet in the solar system, folks. That means there are more heavy metals here, and heavy metals are rare in the universe. You know, maybe these guys are out to steal our goodies. Uh, and maybe we should look more carefully at what uh, is here that might be of concern to them. Who knows? They may have been harvesting good stuff from here for a million years. You know, yeah. Earth is the place where we get uh, extinium. <laughs> you know, uh, you know that, that sounds silly until you realize that uh, uranium, for example, a uh, hundred years ago was used for a yellow coloring agent uh, in uh, certain kinds of equipment. Really? Uh, yeah, that's all. Yellow coloring agent, a, a nice yellow color. Uh, and it, what, it, what its primary use was, you couldn't do it for now because it is radioactive. Uh, you know, uh, we we need to look deeply at these questions. Uh, how many people ever heard of uh, not only uranium, but zirconium, which makes the nuclear navy work? Titanium, which helps the Air Force with all its stuff. We didn't hear about those things. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of peculiar stuff in uh, solid-state physics, you know, and all the fancy gadgetry we have. Uh, things that we wouldn't have thought about at all uh, 60 years ago. Well, I wanted to ask you... Uh, to jump in on this guy's question, in a sense, he says people involved in the early days of ufology. Did you get a chance to read Mark O'Connell's uh, Hynek biography? Because I thought it was outstanding. Yes, I did, and I did it. enjoy it. I was surprised. It was better than I expected it to be. I knew Alan Hynek, and I didn't see anything to complain about. And I think he gave, a, I mean, to say he's the one who got people thinking they're extraterrestrials, maybe overstating it a little bit. But... Uh, he lent his good name and his good reputation to get a lot of people involved, setting up QFOS and so forth. 
Now, he wouldn't, and you wouldn't expect him to. I could never get him to look at bibliographies of interstellar travel. There are uh, sources with 3,000 references on that subject, and he wouldn't look at that stuff. On the other hand, his respectability, he's the same age as my father. Yeah. Uh, born the same year, actually. <laughs> so uh, he lent his, his good name, and he had guts enough to stand up uh, and have to put up with people giving him a hard time. That whole business with swamp gas, my God, <laughs> how he put up with that, I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, that's a that's an incredible uh, human story. That whole that whole story yeah. is pretty amazing. Well, the holiday season is upon us once again, and that means spending time with family. Here with his advice on how to manage the holidays, please welcome Drunk Uncle. It is great to be here hosting Saturday Night Fever. Okay. So, uh, John Gunkel, are you excited for the holidays? The holidays are not what they used to be, Seth. You know, when I was a kid, you know, Christmas meant something. You know, people, people got dressed up. You know, they would travel six hours in a car. Nowadays, it's just, hey, could you email me dinner? Hey, hey, could you fax me a hug? It's the Banal of America Audio Holiday Special, featuring Stanton Friedman. Happy Holidays! You know what I like about Christmas, though? That sexy green M&M lady. <laughs> I would hit that. Come on. You thought about it. No, I really haven't. You thought about it. <laughs> Every kiss begins with K. <laughs> Put that on your iPad and smoke it. Okay. This now this question made me laugh, and I don't wanna I don't wanna laugh at, at the guy, so I I don't know if it's a genuine question or if he's just trying to be funny or what, because it's just sort of like I imagine these are the kind of questions you get uh on occasion. At, at conferences and, and when you run into folks who are fans. He says, please ask Stanton, uh, Jim Sapp is the man, he says, please ask Stanton what he thinks the hybrids will end up doing with mankind. I avoid making any predictions like that. <laughs> I, have, uh, I don't know, and I'm not a soothsayer. I'm a nuclear physicist, and they're different. Uh, I mean, sometimes you have to make predictions about what's going to happen when you're doing an experiment, or you wouldn't do it in the first place. You didn't have some notion of what you're looking for. But uh, I have no idea what they're doing. Well, we can observe what they've done in a loose sense, but we don't get all the data. The government knows all kinds of stuff that it's not telling us, although maybe that day is changing after this weekend. I don't know. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason I laugh is just because it's like he, he, it, the, the question begins from such a point of assumption where it's, uh, you know, what, what, do you think the, what do you think the hybrids will end up? We don't, know if, we don't know if there are hybrids, man. We don't know, you know. That's, that's I haven't talked to any. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris Hobbs uh, says, coming from New Zealand, so we've got a listener here from New Zealand with a question, I've always been fascinated by the Kaikoura Lights. Uh, he says, as a seven-year-old kid at the time, it freaked me out. He's wondering uh, what you think of it, uh, as it was a big thing back then. 
but somewhat unknown outside of New Zealand. I've never heard of this. Have you heard of this Kakura light? Oh, oh yes, okay. yes. And Dr. Bruce Maccabee, who is one of the outstanding ufologists around, uh, he's got a Ph.D. in phys- optical physics, worked for a Navy research lab for 30 years, outstanding scientist. He's written a couple of books. Bruce went down to Kaikoura. Uh, I'd forgotten the name, but there there were some very good uh, radar visual sightings, and he went to explore those and found out more information, so I was very impressed with his findings. Uh, yes, something really happened there, and yes, it does seem to have involved extraterrestrial spacecraft. If they're not from here, they're from someplace else. That, you know, that doesn't say I know what their home address is. Right, right. Okay, now this is this actually in a good way kind of ties in too to the Times piece because I forgot about this hot take that I saw. So uh, uh, this is this was actually submitted before the article, but uh, we will connect it in a sense. Kirk Walker, he wants to know if you believe the claims of a secret space program complete with bases on Mars, and uh, why or why not do you think that? It's kind of the same, no. You know. uh, as a matter of fact, last year's MUFON conference, Mutual UFO Network Symposium in Vegas, which I did not intend, but I did read all the papers. So when you give a paper at a MUFON annual symposium, you have, to, you have to provide a written copy, and it's published in the proceedings, a couple hundred pages usually. And I've, I've spoken to more of these than anybody else, I guess, or I, that was true up until a couple of years ago. Anyway, anyway I read the, the Secret Space Program one, and I was very disappointed because it was long on claims and short on evidence. So I'm not saying I can prove there hasn't been one, but I've seen no evidence that there was. Uh, in other words, where we have uh, gone off to Mars and other places. Uh, some people are even claiming that uh, President Obama was one of the people who spent time on Mars. Oh, yeah, yeah, crazy stuff, yeah. Uh, yeah, all, all kinds of stuff like that. Now, I'm not saying I can prove it didn't happen because I haven't made the effort to account for Obama's presence, you know, every week. (laughs) But uh, I'm saying I haven't seen evidence, and and I was disappointed. Uh, Corey Good is one name that comes to mind just because it's a little unusual. But So I'm not satisfied that we have traipsed off to other planets. I'm not saying we can't keep secrets. But I'm saying I haven't seen any evidence, and uh, evidence is the key word. There are all kinds of possibilities. Which one? Uh, you better give me evidence before you pick one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there also, in a sense, needs to uh, – there's almost like a delineation in a sense, too, I think, because like a lot of these quote-unquote whistleblowers, they, they paint this picture of like a sophisticated secret space program when it very well – when we should probably assume there is kind of like a secret space program of like secret you know, tests of craft and whatnot, but it may, it's, it may be not like uh, fully furnished um, bases on Mars and stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, That's expensive, incidentally. <laughs> exactly. 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 Well, the re- the reason why I mentioned it kind of connects in a sense to the Times because that that's the argument I've also heard that it's like uh, that these people that these people just are that th- 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 I guess that it's like confusion in a sense where people one hand doesn't know what the other is doing compartmentalized secrets where it's like the the UFOs they see are secret craft they're, they're secret American craft but they don't know it so they have to so does that make any you understand kind of the the scenario yeah, I'm painting and, here uh, and I I don't believe that notion for okay. a minute. If we had the advanced technology, we'd be using it, we'd be showing it, we'd, we'd be threatening the world, how, you know, uh, 
don't come bothering us because we're ready for you, buddy, because look what we got that you don't know about. Uh, it, it's part of the dynamics between countries, which is a very complicated kind of business. Right, right. Well, it's funny, too, in a sense, where you like look at, uh, you know, the, the, the Robert Hastings, Robert Salas uh, sort of research, and it's like, well, if we had – if we had the technology to fly over a nuclear base and disarm their missiles, like I think they'd be seeing a lot of UFOs in North Korea right about now. Uh, I, I suppose so. You know, <laughs> Maybe I they mean, are. I guess. Telling us. That's, tr- that's true. I don't watch a lot of North Korean uh, pro- propaganda television. That's true. But <laughs> you know, so we'll see. We'll see. Okay, now we got a we got a really cool question here from uh, no less than uh, legendary parapolitical conspiracy writer Ken Thomas. Uh, who's participating in the listener question uh, portion of the holiday special. He wants to know, uh, he would like to hear your thoughts, nuclear scientist Stan, address the role of ufological history played by scientists of dissenting and controversial views like Tesla and Wilhelm Reich. Well, I I think there's no question that if you follow the progress chart of science for, say, the last 140 years, uh, I think you'll find that many of them were not in seriously without all kinds of effort being made to put out the evidence. They had to work extra hard to defend their position, whereas the critics didn't. They could just do their criticism by by claim. Uh, you know, uh, the top American astronomer, Dr. Simon Newcomb, in 1902, October, uh, stated in print, that if there was one thing he was sure of, man would never fly any distance in an enclosed vehicle, maybe in a balloon. And that was two months before the Wright brothers' first flight. Yeah. So, And that means that kind of attitude made it very hard for the Wright brothers and others to get financial support because the big wheels were saying there's nothing to this. The same thing happened in 1956. Uh, the British astronomer Royal said he was asked by a Time magazine reporter, and it's in Time magazine. Uh, what about uh, space travel? And he said, "Utter bilge. There's nothing to it. Who would pay for it? What good would it do? What we need is better equipment for astronomy." This is a year before Sputnik went up, and the field that got the most benefit from the space program was astronomy. Uh, because suddenly they could make measurements, you know, from above the atmosphere and so forth. But it wasn't because they pushed for space travel. Yeah. They wanted equipment they could put in space, but uh, somebody else is going to pay for it because, uh, you know, what what good would it do? <laughs> what can I say? Uh, strange history is loaded with nasty, noisy negativists naysaying newsmen, uh, fossilized physicists. Yeah. You could put together, people have, well, science was wrong. On the book that Kathleen Martin and I published, one of ours, uh, we 14 chapters, each one stimulated by some very smart person saying something very stupid. Yeah. Like, you can't fly, et cetera, et cetera. So the history of science is loaded with uh, claims that, this is impossible, that's impossible. As a matter of fact, the original title for that book was going to be It's Impossible, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, a long history there. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. 
Well, it's funny. You, you don't see uh, Tesla attached to ufology very much. Um, but No, but Tesla certainly was a great scientist who had more patents than you can shake a stick at, uh, yeah. you know, comparable to Edison. And he had a hard time all the time from people. Uh, he was saying things which they thought were impossible. Yeah. And Wilhelm Reich's another guy that's sort of like, you know, erased yeah. in a sense from this sort of history of this stuff. And the, the kicker is that there are some people who are open to the new, looking forward instead of looking backward. Uh, because something was impossible 20 years ago doesn't mean it's impossible now. Or because you can't do it using technique A doesn't mean there isn't a technique B and C out there. Right, right. And the history of science is loaded with examples of that. Uh, and that, that's why I mentioned the the book, because we have there are loads of foolish pronouncements from people who should have known better. Uh no, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, I think back to an interview I did with the guy who uh, he wrote a book on the on the on the on the boy who invented television and uh, uh, Philo Farnsworth, and it was like he came up with the idea for mowing his for mowing his field, and it was like if he if he had a uh, if he had gone to school and everything, like he never would have come up with the idea because he never would have been he would have been told that couldn't, things didn't work that way. Yeah, so, yeah. We need Good more people time. like that. There are loads of them out there. Mm. Uh, and then another former BOA Audio guest, a beloved BOA Audio guest, the wild and woolly William Zabel, he has a question. He uh, he wants to know if you can address the position that some in the field hold uh, about UFOs being interdimensional. I feel like we've covered this many times in the past, but it's it's a continuing well, question. So My normal reaction to that is that's an easy way out for people who've read a lot of science fiction. We don't know any way that they could do these things, so let's come up with something that we don't know how to do, like interdimensional. But you don't need – that's where my background in technology um, puts me in a better position than most to judge this sort of thing. Uh, the biggest reason that we're dealing with this is with interstellar travel. And I worked on a study of nuclear fusion for deep space travel in 1962, for God's sakes. I worked on a fission nuclear rocket reactor propulsion system, which we operated – at Westinghouse Astronuclear, uh, the test was done at the nuclear test site in Nevada, but uh, less than eight feet in diameter, power level, uh, 1,000 megawatts. Now, Hoover Dam produces 2,000 megawatts. It's a little larger than eight feet in diameter. Yeah. And the test was very successful. The exhaust temperature, and I'm sure many people would have said this is impossible, was 4,000 degrees. Uh, liquid hydrogen goes in at close to absolute zero and goes out at 4,000 degrees. It's a marvel of engineering. And I'll admit, when we ran the first test, we didn't know how long the thing would stick together. <laughs> the yeah, film yeah. element's going to come out. You know, and uh, I was listening to the test back in Pittsburgh when the test was being run on the west. And five minutes nominal temperature and pressure, 10 minutes. 20 minutes, and we're looking at each other. Holy cow. Well, the maximum time you could operate the system was an hour because you could only store so much liquid hydrogen out there. And we made it the full hour. We, there was such delight. And I was especially pleased because I had been asked like two weeks before, Stan, we're not sure what the heating rate is in the control veins outside the reactor. Uh, could you come up with some data for us in the next uh, two weeks before we run the test? 
So I had to design some experiments and make some measurements and so forth. And I concluded that indeed uh, we were okay. We were not going to melt the fuel, the uh, control elements, which would have been fatal. <laughs> to tell you the truth. And so I realized as this test was going on, if this thing fails, they may blame me for that. <laughs> So I was especially pleased that the test went off successfully. Yeah. So essentially you're saying, like I said, we've covered this one a bunch of times in the past. The, the interdimensional thing, you think it's just sort of like, uh, it's it's sort of, I don't know, a red herring in a sense of sorts. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not saying we won't learn how to do that at some point in time, but it isn't necessary t- to invoke magic, uh, which is basically what that is. Magic exactly, yeah. is something we don't know how to do, but it's incredible. Uh you know, that's nice. I, I don't know how aliens go through walls without making holes in the walls. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and things like that. And how can they operate without making any noise? That's pretty intriguing. Well, it means they're not doing things the way we're doing, you know. <laughs> there you go. Okay, Sean Knight. He wants to know if there's any classic UFO case or cases that has a big reputation in ufology, but that you think is actually explainable as something prosaic or a hoax. Uh, not that I can think of offhand, because I try to free my mind of the hoaxes and the prosaics and, uh, and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Because remember, the question isn't, are all UFOs alien spacecraft? The question is, are any? So do I need to explain them uh, all? Uh, no. You just need to find the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll do it. How many isotopes are fashionable? Well, there's U-235 and uh, and uh, U-235. <laughs> you know, the fact that most aren't is beside the point. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, that kind of makes sense in a way because uh, that's a tough question because I, I looked at that question and was thinking about what it's hard to it's hard to come up with like it's like say. It's not even like say it's not even like uh, what's your favorite bad movie in a sense. You know what I mean? It's, it's like because once I hear a story that's bogus, I just generally forget about it. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Marty Littlejohn. He wants to know uh, if you think we have the technology to get back to the moon, and uh, he, he of says he says it's kind of a gray area at the moment, or have we been warned off? I think he's like the question is whether we have the money and the will, not whether we have the technology. And even like going to Mars, the nuclear rocket engine that I mentioned, which was successfully tested, three different ones were tested in 68, 69, 70 by Westinghouse Aston Nuclear Aerojet in Los Alamos. I'm not making this stuff up. Uh, A nuclear rocket engine could double or triple a payload to Mars. Now, the question whether we use one or not is, uh, is a political question. You know, do we dare to risk it kind of thing. And I, for listeners... We're not talking about the nuclear uh, rocket engine as the lift vehicle. Uh, we're talking about it as the top stage. Yeah. The safety problems if when you're near the ground, you just as soon not have something explode on the pad kind of thing. Right, right, right. If, if it explodes up there, oh, no no big deal. <laughs> Expensive, but no big deal. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> now maybe we yeah. the aliens have been <laughs> trying to stop us from doing um, so do you, okay, well, to jump in on this question in a sense, because he sort of had this as a dangling part at the end, it's like a whole different question in a sense. Um, he wants to know, 
you know, he's asked about the technology to get to the moon. Do you think we have been warned off of it? What do you think of the theory that, that you know, they went to the moon and they were like, they told us not to come back, they being the aliens? Well, I have suggested that. People said, why didn't we go back to the moon? And, you know, Apollo 18 was built in 19. We didn't use them. And I have suggested maybe the aliens told us to stay the heck off our planet. Uh, you know, yeah. And so I allow room for that. I don't know. I don't sit at the meetings where the big shots decide what's going on. And th- that's a reasonable. Uh, th- there's another possibility, of course. Obviously, even if they didn't tell us not to come back, if we know that there's stuff up there that would prove to anybody who saw it that there are aliens out there, the government isn't ready until this past weekend. <laughs> to say uh, aliens are visiting here. Yeah. So if we were to say, you know, back a little while ago, you know, two weeks ago, <laughs> if we were to say that uh, they're coming here, uh, some, somebody might give us a hard time. Right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, we still haven't <laughs> – we're still only one step of the way here to the to the big D disclosure, but it's – you know. Well, sure, but you know, again, I, I mentioned we're talking all kinds of big programs for the government. Yeah, I mentioned 100 million dollars a year for nuclear airplanes in 1958. At GE, we had 3,400 employees, of whom 1,100 were engineers and scientists. We're not talking about a small program; we're talking about a huge program. Uh, the pro- existence of the program wasn't classified; the data was. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We learned a lot of stuff. But uh, the program was canceled. We didn't operate a nuclear-powered airplane. We know how to do it. If you wanted to spend the dough, you could go. But that's a different question. Right, right, exactly. Um, Okay, Uh, Red Pill Junkie, or uh, actually, hold on now. T. Erickson essentially sent the same question in uh, as Marty Littlejohn. It's interesting, sort of, and on different different whole different mediums so it's like interesting that was in people's minds um let me just see if there's anything in this question that's, that we didn't cover sort of in that line of thought he says if the government has reverse engineered alien spacecraft why is it still so tough to get above lower Earth orbit and go back to the moon or mars i guess his question to be fair is <laughs> is such a complex thing his question is is not did we get warned away or do we not have the technology to do it again but um how come we don't have the technology from crashed UFOs if that really happened? Well, certainly there have been crashed UFOs, not only at Roswell and the Plains of San Augustine and Aztec and a few other places. Uh, knowing how something works doesn't allow you to build it. That takes money and technology and all kinds of things. Uh, you know, if I hand the smartest people on the planet a uh, oh, uh, a, a solid state device uh, in, in 1934 uh you know a little radio uh could they have built it not a chance we didn't know anything about small electronics yeah so there you know it's like uh, nuclear weapons well uh, do you know how much dough we spent getting to be able to make nuclear weapons well, our, our first isotope separation plant was a mile long uh uranium isotopes uh, in gaseous form being pumped in at one end, and because U-235 is a little lighter than U-238, it moves a little faster, and pretty soon you enrich it. Uh, We were using 5% of all the power being produced in the United States during the war, this is, 
to separate uranium isotopes. We're talking a lot of dough, and there were an awful lot of people working on that program in secret. (laughs) So, you know, knowing something can be done doesn't tell you how to do it, and knowing uh, how to do it doesn't get it built until you spend the money and the effort you got to do all kinds of new stuff, working with weird materials. Look, on my first job, working with things like beryllium, beryllium oxide, lithium hydride, tungsten alloys. Who ever heard of this stuff? <laughs> they're real. Yeah. They're real. And they're not easy to make, incidentally. And some of them are dangerous, too, for that matter. Uh so there are all kinds of questions that need answering. That means a lot of time, money, effort, and caution. Yeah. Making sure you don't have accidents when people get killed and stuff like that. Well, there's certainly been a lot of time. So we'll see if that, uh, if, if we're going to get, if we're going to see any fruits of that money and effort that maybe was kept under wraps. Miguel Romero, who writes under the pen name uh, Red Pill Junkie, he's uh, super popular online, emerging uh, writer and thinker in this field. He has a, a pretty uh, deep question for you, so I'm going to okay. uh, dive into this one, and I'll, then I'll tell you when to fire away. <laughs> he says, you recently said to Alex Sakiris that aliens probably know a whole lot more than we do about telepathy and NDEs, yet you still seem to cling to the notion that the ETH is the likeliest explanation to the UFO mystery and that these ETs are coming here using structured metal craft. Isn't that just akin to dipping your toes in the consciousness pond instead of fully sinking in? If telepathy is real, as Joshua Cutchin pointed out in his essay for UFOs Reframing the Debate, then that means consciousness is non-local. And if that is the case, then why would aliens need structured metal craft to visit us when they could just project themselves non-corporeally the same way remote viewers like Ingo Swan allegedly do? So that's the question. Um, well, if you're going to take samples back, you better have a vehicle to do it with, uh, is one answer, obviously. Uh, the fact, I, I would be astonished if advanced civilizations, such as those visiting the planet, haven't learned a great deal about telepathy and all the other uh, sort of oddball, but I think quite real phenomena that go on. Uh, reincarnation. I think the aliens know about reincarnation, and how the heck do they get through walls and all that sort of stuff? They, uh, how do they move people? Uh, you know. So I, I think it's part of the armament. It's not the whole story. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I say, if you're you're here to mine, uh, Earth is the densest planet. Heavy metals, osmium, rhenium, platinum, good stuff like that. It takes real vehicles and real energy supplies. Uh, That doesn't mean that the same guys don't know how to read minds and project their thoughts and do all kinds of other great stuff. They're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. All right. Well, I like your – I think – I think, in a sense, too, uh, I liked your answer there about getting back samples because I never even considered that as uh, the answer to uh, Miguel's question, but it makes perfect sense. Um, and and I guess what I think, in a sense, when I hear the question is, uh, it might really be, it might projecting your consciousness might actually just be really hard to do. Like you, maybe it's not sustainable. So who knows? You know, just because. I mean, we maybe that do, we don't keep the guy from pulling the trigger on the gun he's aiming at you. you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe like maybe their whole thing is to interact in a way that we can't that that, that requires. Uh, 
uh, an actual physical presence. And also, I think, uh, in a way, I think we, I think, I think uh, there may be a chance that that we're going to find out eventually that, that there's a large contingent of like robots involved in this, where it's like could be why not. You know, because uh, uh, you know, all these a lot of times there's questions about the occupants of these craft, like how could they survive this and that and the other thing, and it's like maybe just because they're, I mean, we're seeing how the robots are developing here, so it's like if they're that advanced, yeah. You know. Well, let, let me give you an example of something. People are, are, are frequently misrepresented the facts about how much acceleration we can stand. Oh, you'd be torn to bits or compressed and this, that, and the other thing. There is data on this kind of stuff. Uh, a, a person, for example, can actually stand 30 Gs for one second, believe it or not. That's zero to 600 miles an hour in one second. Uh, I'm not saying I'm volunteering for the trip. <laughs> uh, and there are all kinds of data on pilots. Uh, there was a guy uh, who, who calculated the, about interstellar, uh, about going to the moon uh, an astronomer in the 40s who assumed that you'd be limited to 1G acceleration. Well, 5 is routine for astronauts. Now, you're not walking around drinking a beer while this is going on. Okay. But when you've got airplanes being flown by people, the plane and the person have restrictions on what kind of acceleration they can stand. You design within those parameters. We're talking engineering, not not thought experiments. Uh, and we can find out how much acceleration people can stand and in what direction it should be applied. You may notice that the astronauts go up on their backs, yeah, not on their feet, because you can stand a heck of a lot more force uh, back to front than foot to head. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. the way it is. Uh, and so you're not doing this in a, I was going to say in a vacuum. Well, you do fly in a vacuum. <laughs> right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think I think we covered that uh, question. I feel bad in a sense because like it's a very complicated question. But I think your your take is that like the, the, the that you're not discounting the possibility that the aliens can do all all sorts of things. You know that it's just not yeah. they're not just limited to just flying here in in metal uh, craft. You know, that, that it's a good way to stave off the, the some of the radiation in space too, incidentally. And you do have to have some way of being able to breathe, which means you've got to watch about the vacuum and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some limitations on people as passengers or pilots. Right, right, and I think part of the thing too is like that we we. We, we sort of have to work with, with the, the tools that we have, in a sense, even intellectually, where it's like yes. we, we have – we've seen us fly our species to another thing. So it's like that seems we, – we don't necessarily – although there are some compelling stories, we don't necessarily know that, like, you can project your consciousness to other places. So it's like we have to work with what uh, – <laughs> that's why that seems to be the predominant thing, because that's the only way we know necessarily how this might be pulled off. Yeah, I'm not saying there aren't other ways of doing it, but I want to protest loudly against anybody who says there is no technology that will allow us to do A, B, C, or D when they haven't looked at the technology. Right. Okay. Corey Thornton uh, wants to know, or he writes, uh, please ask Stanton to dig deep into his gray basket, which I still hope you'll write a book, Stanton Friedman's Gray Basket. Maybe this will be the spark that lights the uh, lights the fire. 
Uh, dig into your gray basket for the strangest case of a UFO sighting encounter that you ever came across in your research. Uh, was there anything that felt so far outside of the normal telltale signs of variables that you just find yourself completely stumped yet fascinated? He says, thank you, my best witches for the season to both uh, you and my thanks to you for the work that you've done in bringing and digging deeper into the paranormal and esoteric. Sorry, I watched the end there, but <laughs> I think you Thanks. got the question. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know how to rate Strange's case uh, because it is a, based on the behavior. The Betty and Barney Hill case, uh, you know, I find a fascinating case uh, because they were able to control their behavior, which was very important, so that Betty and Barney could not keep them from doing what they wanted to do. They were being specimens. You know, catch and release program. Yeah, and uh, it it takes uh, a lot of special effort. Uh, would for us to make sure that people don't behave in ways we don't want them to behave. If we want to grab them and examine them and toss them back, uh, you know, uh, the aliens seem to be able to do a lot of things that we don't know how to do. One of them is to control the thinking and therefore behavior of earthlings when they take them on board. And that's kind of far out, but that's the way it seems to be. Yeah. So, so be it. Um, okay, now Chris Hadley, he wrote in essentially with the same question uh, that we got earlier about Secret Space Program. Again, it's interesting, uh, you know, we get these questions, and they're eerily similar, and these guys didn't know the other ones <laughs> sent them in. Sure. Um, he, yeah, so he's interested in the secret space program. Uh, I pretty much think we answered the question. I guess he wants to know, are such individuals being allowed to speak about such experiences because the powers that be feel as media and others won't believe them? Or do you feel that there may be some level of truth in what they are claiming? There's two, he gives two options there, but there are many others uh, <laughs> in the middle. Yeah, I, I think that uh, there's certainly aspects of the space program that are secret details. But I don't think, in the sense in which the term is used, that is, we're flying vehicles to uh, the moon or other places, uh, maybe Mars and so forth, I have seen no uh, evidence, if you will, that there is such a program involving lots of people, lots of equipment, major effort, uh, that we're doing stuff in secret. Yes, of course. You always want to do things that the other guy doesn't know about. And not tell him. You don't want him to learn from you. You want to learn from him. <laughs> what has he done that he doesn't know you know about what he has done? So there are all these games that are played all the time. There are, there's more than one space-faring uh, society on this planet. You may have noticed. I forget how many people have put up satellites, but it's a lot. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, like I said, we covered that uh before so it, it's it's interesting this secret space program it's big in the uh it's in the it's in the ufo zeitgeist now so it's interesting yes uh jim vujovic uh he wonders what you know or think about the electric universe theory the idea that it's uh electromagnetism that drives the universe not gravity and the sun is not a big ball of nuclear fusion but instead a big ball of burning plasma well those two aren't exclusive uh, if you got nuclear fusion, it involves plasmas. I worked on fusion. Uh, fusion is a plasma phenomena. Uh, after all, you got to get the, um, the the various gases to react with each other, and that means uh, 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 not 
being repelled. You know, positive and negative particles repel each other when they get close. So you got to overcome that repulsion. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty going on there. All right. Uh, and James Leroy Wilson wants to know what's your favorite space travel movie, which is good. That's the last question, so it's a good wrap-up. Uh, I, I have, I, again, I don't tend to rank things. I, I, <laughs> I was there in the first showing of uh, Close Encounters, and I enjoyed it, frankly. Uh so I don't have favorites. I look to see if there's good stuff in all of them, and there may be good and bad, and things that you say, oh, no, come on. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, and half the problems that you have to worry about is people's attitudes, not so much technology. Yeah. Is that how they would act or that kind of thing? And one of the things that I find interesting is that the aliens don't seem to make a habit of intentionally inflicting pain or distress on specimens. They pick us up and they put us back. Right. But they don't uh, damage us along the way with a willy-nilly approach to who gives a darn about these, these specimens. They seem to be uh, careful there seems to be some kind of a rule about how you behave, and that pleases me because one of the things we have a problem with on this planet is we don't follow rules for how to behave toward other people. A trillion dollars a year for war for military tells you that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense where it's like you talk about the, the human species being sort of like this war, war, uh, war species, and it's like... It makes sense in a way because it's like the aliens can't trust us to abide by the by the rule that apparently they're they're they're, they're using. So it's like yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why we're not welcome into the galactic community because they don't trust us. Primitive society's major activity is tribal warfare. Okay, now I'm loath to do this, but we have a caller, and uh, it is the holiday special. It's the holiday season, so I feel like if I if I didn't put them on to ask a question, I'd be rude. So um, okay. we'll do that, and then we'll then we'll call it a night. So okay. all right, eight oh four area code, uh, you're on the air. Thanks for calling the holiday special with Stanton Friedman. Do you have a question for Stan? Yes, thank you so much for taking my call. There is a YouTube of. Stanton's nephew, Paul Kimball, talking with Greg Bishop about Harry Rosicki, who was a high-level CIA operative and known supposedly as the Falcon in the aviary. I was wondering if uh, Stanton did know Harry Rosicki because they no. get into the UFO connection and also his comments on Andrew Basaggio and his uh, teleportation and uh, Alfred Weber and Laura Magdalene Eisenhower. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll try and we'll, all right. Well, okay. I'm not going to spend a lot of time yeah. on those. I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not a fan of Rosagio. I, I read his stuff, and I again, the lack of evidence gets to me all the time. Yeah. Stories are cheap, easy. Uh, actions are not. There you go. Uh, who were the other guys? There were a couple more. There. Alfred Weber, he's the exopolitics guy. Yeah, and again, I've looked at his stuff, spent a lot of time reading it and looking at it, and not impressed. Okay. And who was the last Sorry. person, Laura Eisenhower, you said? Yeah, I, yes. I never really dug into Laura Eisenhower. I, I don't know enough about her to make a sensible judgment based on facts and data, because I don't have the facts and data. All right. 
Okay, caller. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate it. Have a happy holidays. We're trying to do it fast because, you know, Stan's uh, yeah. giving us so much time and everything. But thank you, uh, sir, for calling in. We want thank to give my much. address uh, if, oh, yeah, yeah. if we can. Uh, We're going to do that. Web- <laughs> oh, okay. Let, let's do that. All right. Well, thank you for the caller. I told you I was a little <laughs> – that, that took us down a strange path. So, uh, but, but we've reached – all right. One guy in the chat room, is there such a thing called gravity waves? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the guy's just got a Nobel Prize for that. <laughs> that's, that's the way we want to wrap up the holiday special. Stan, I can't thank you enough uh, for doing this. And like I said, this isn't the last, you know, because people get nervous and stuff because uh, I'm dropping the weekly format for a while. And it's like I told them, we're, I'm going to keep doing this. This is like my favorite thing in the world to do. This is like my favorite night of the year in a lot of ways. It's about <laughs> one of the many nights. I'm filled with joy afterwards, and it's, a, it's another night like that tonight. So I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Um, I love you, man. I consider you a huge uh, mentor, friend. Uh, just you're, you're everything to me, man. You are, you are the best, and I hope you have a happy holidays, and uh, I'll be talking I'll to you try. soon. Same to you. Thank and, you for having me again. And and one last thing. Like you said earlier, uh, you said you weren't sure if you <laughs> if you deserve to be thanked or, or whatever. No, man. Congratulations, uh you know, on this news, because, you know, this is the result of a lot of hard work from other people, too, that maybe yeah. aren't involved in all this stuff. So it's I'm, I'm glad you, you know, sit back and relish in this, man, and enjoy yes. it. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, happy holidays. Thanks again, and uh, Thank you. we'll talk to you next season. Okay. Thanks. Good night. Good night. There you go, folks. That was Stanton Friedman. I meant next holiday season, not BOA Audio season 11. So just hold your horses there. Um, <laughs> I got to give amazing credit to Stan uh, that every year, no matter how many questions we have, he hits that on the 90-minute mark. <laughs> he just nails it right on the 90-minute mark. And I think uh, I even I even ended up throwing a couple curveballs there. Um, with uh, with the caller and and with the gravity waves question at the end. So yeah, I I, I really I had a great time and I, I really loved the show and um, th- that was great. And and as I said to Stan, it's so rare uh, that we get the chance to talk about uh, some crazy breaking UFO news because the UFO phenomenon has been so stale for years. So we'll uh, we'll see how this thing develops. It's exciting. Like I said earlier. Uh, I've been pretty critical of these guys, but they've done something. That's all I ask, man. Do something. And they did something. So now let's now we all get to talk and argue and throw out hot takes and debate uh what that something is. And and that's, you know <laughs> and, and what it means. And and uh that's exciting and that's fun. And that's that's why we're in all this, you know. So instead of the uh, the 30th rehash of of sort of uh, the latest exotic UFO theory. It's like you know a whole new twist to the UFO conspiracy realm, and that's exciting. So you know I, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm blown away by this turn of events, and we'll see what happens <laughs> going forward. It's quite the Christmas present for anyone who's uh, been interested in this stuff for a long time, because it's like whoa, <laughs> what is going on, man? Um, and on that note, thank you so much to everybody who listened. Thank you to all the people who submitted questions uh, 
Flycatch in the chat room. Let's see if I can hit all the names here. The guy who called in, sorry I didn't get your name. James Leroy Wilson, Jim Vujovic, Chris Hadley, Chris Hadley, excuse me, Corey Thornton, Miguel Romero, Red Pill Junkie T. Erickson, Marty Littlejohn, Sean Knight, William Zabel, Ken Thomas, Kirk Walker, Chris Hobbs, Jim Sapp, Marco Withrow, and D. Schiller. Uh, awesome questions and a fascinating sort of look at uh, what's on the minds of people. And it's crazy because, uh, well, we posted the call for questions before the article came out at the Times, but a whole bunch of people uh, submitted questions right away. We didn't actually get a bunch of, or any questions about the Times thing, so it's kind of funny like that. But we certainly dug into it a lot tonight with Stan. I was really, uh, I was I was fascinated by what he had to say because, as I said, he's the face and voice of ufology. So, you know, he seemed uh, thrilled, <laughs> and I'm so happy for him. You know, and that's great. So, it's, uh, you know, you couldn't ask for a better sort of scenario here for the final holiday season of the seasonal. Fo- uh, excuse me. <laughs> The final holiday special of the seasonal format. Jesus, Benal, can you make it any more confusing? It's the 13th annual special on the 10th season, which is the final season. Ah, whatever. I hope everybody has an awesome holiday season. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, Year in review. Oh, it's going to be a wild one. (laughs) It's going to be a crazy year in review, I'm sure. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, With Greg Bishop, I'm still working out the details of the time and all that stuff. It's a weird situation here because here we have the holiday special on the 19th wicked early almost you know there's almost uh almost two weeks still left in the year so i'm definitely not doing a show next week because that's december 26th um that's the day after christmas that's boxing day folks you know i don't work on boxing day um and i'm actually going to my high school reunion so that'll be interesting uh so two weeks from that is what um, January 1st. So I don't know if we're necessarily going to do a show on January 1st, but maybe we will. Who knows? But i got to talk to Greg Bishop and figure that out. And um, I'm not sure. Greg talked about doing a simulcast. I don't know if I want to do a simulcast because this is like his last appearance on the seasonal format. I feel like we should like make some, do something even more epic. Um, so i gotta, I got to get in touch with him. <laughs> so that'll be, you know, at the end of the month. So... Uh, or at the very, very beginning of uh, 2018, so like, uh, you know, January 1st or 2nd. Not January 1st. I don't want to do it on the 1st, but maybe I will. I don't know. But one of the, I'm, I'm arguing with myself here when to do it, and I don't even have Greg on the phone. But sometime at the start of the year. So I guess, with all that said, uh, I hope everybody has a very Merry Christmas. I hope they've had an awesome Hanukkah. Um, and have a, a safe and uh, joyous New Year. Because you won't be hearing from me for a couple of weeks, unless something absolutely bonkers happens, like with uh, UFOs. That <laughs> I feel the need to do a dramatic, drastic uh, <laughs> show, but I highly doubt that. So with with that in mind, you will probably not be hearing from me until the start of 2018. And with that, have a very merry Christmas. Hope you've had an awesome Hanukkah. Have a safe New Year. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, or uh, if you do, don't get caught. And uh, until then, thanks for listening. Tim and all, signing off.